Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you this morning. Hey, um, have you ever had one of those situations where, where you've been mistaken for somebody else? Where maybe you're in the grocery store, someone comes up, and they're like, hey, Bob, and you're like, I'm Jill. <laughs> you know, no. Um, I, uh, I've had those happen several different times over the years, and, and, and actually the, the, the two most memorable ones took place around when I was living in California, um, and I, where I got, I got mistaken for someone famous. Yeah, I know. Uh, it's, it's incredible, Wait, except it really isn't. Uh, I was at a Baja Fresh, and uh, I walked through the doors, and I'm with some friends. We're going there for lunch, and this little old lady comes up to me, and she goes, I know who you are. And I'm like, this isn't starting out really well so far. And she go, I said, oh, I, who am I? <laughs> and she goes, you're Michael Moore. Um, You're familiar with Michael Moore, the documentary guy, right, who's like this tall and like 350 pounds, and we both have a beard, a hat, and, and glasses. That was, I actually, that one I had to get a hold of Julie and be like, Julie, please tell me I don't look like Michael Moore, right? <laughs> that, that was a, a blow to my self-esteem, I will say that. Um, the other one was a little better. I was in a grocery store, and I was walking down the aisle, and, and a lady goes, wait, I know you. I said, well, I'm sorry, I don't know you. Um, she goes, oh, I love your music. And I'm like, well, thanks. <laughs> um, uh, she goes, um, you're, you're, you're the guy, the lead singer for Mercy Me. And I'm like, no, but wow, okay. Uh, Mercy Me, the lead singer for Mercy Me, his name's Bart Millard, a great singer, right? And I, big guy, beard, glasses, hat, you know, the whole thing. Um, I said, no, I'm, I'm sorry, I love his music too, but uh, nope, it, it, uh, it, that's not me. I, I wish I could sing like that. Um, that. That happened to me a couple different times. And, and, you know, really, though, I think that most often when we have a case of mistaken identity, it isn't with someone else and them mistaking our identity. It's often we mistake our own identity. And we, we look into a mirror and we see this picture of, of someone maybe that we don't like. Right? We don't like what's looking back at us. Or we, or we see someone that we like maybe too much. Right? And, and so we, we kind of have an unhealthy uh, interpretation of, of who we are. And so today we're going to look at, at how our identity in Jesus... It helps us to grow deeper roots into Him. Uh, our, our sermon series that we're going through is called Rooted, and it's based in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 7. It says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. So we're looking at how we can be more built up in Jesus, how we can grow these deep roots into who he is and how that impacts our, our daily life. And, and over the last uh, the month, we've been looking at uh, uh, some different ideas. We started off uh, our first week in this series by reading Jeremiah chapter 17, a portion in there, 7 through, seven through something or other. And uh, it says in there, in Jeremiah 17, it says this. It says, Blessed is the one uh, who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They would be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought, and it never fails to bear fruit. So it says there, blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. And then it says all these results, all these blessings that come from that trust. So we can, we can 
grow deep roots by trusting in God. Just like it says that a tree that grows deep roots into the ground doesn't need to worry about what, uh, whatever happens, whether that be a drought, whether that be a storm. Right? It, it will stand strong. We followed up with that Jeremiah 17 passage by the next week looking at Psalm chapter 1 where we understand that we can grow deep roots into Jesus as we grow connected and deeper in delighting in his word. And that comes from Psalm 1 again. It says, Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on that law day and night. That person is like a tree, using that metaphor again, a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do will prosper. Again, as we, as we delight in God's Word, as we find joy in studying it and applying it to our lives, it says that we grow deeper roots in, in Jesus. And there's blessings attached to that. And those blessings are, we will bear fruit, just like in, in, in that first passage in Jeremiah 17. And, and our roots will grow deep. Again, helping us to withstand anything that life throws against us. The next week after that, we looked at Matthew chapter 7 and James chapter 1, and we found that, that we grow deep roots by doing the things that God's Word says, right? Not just being hearers of the Word, not deluding ourselves, but doers. And that's what James 1.22 says, but prove yourselves doers of the Word and not merely, merely hearers who delude themselves, right? So put, practice it, put it into action. And then as we do that, our roots grow deep. And, and, and in Matthew chapter uh, 7, give the illustration of two builders, right? The, the wise builder built his house on God's word by doing, and as so, their foundation was solid, completely rooted in Jesus. Last week, we read some passages from Ephesians chapter 2 and saw that we grow deep roots as we grow more deeply connected to God's family. And so there's kind of this cycle that takes place. As we connect with God, he, he uproots us from our old way, our old field, and He plants us within a new field, a new family, the family of God. And as we connect with that family, it helps us to grow closer to God. And as we grow closer to God, we grow closer to the family, and that cycle continues. You know, I was thinking about these things this week, and... and uh, what I was going to talk about this, this week. And actually, I had early in the week, I had a conversation. And, and it was, I was talking to someone kind of about some of my things I've been going through in life. We were just kind of sharing together and, and um, talking about, you know, some of the, I've had some anxiety in the last couple months and, and dealing with that and learning how to cope with that. And, and I had a, the, the conversation kind of made its way to um, the point where we were talking about our relationships with other people. And, and I talked about how my wife and I, we've, we've um, tried to practice the love languages. If you're familiar with that, Gary Chapman wrote The Five Love Languages. Very good book, different uh, ways that we feel and we give love. And so my wife have talked about that a lot, where, where she's an act of service love language or quality time. And so spending time with her or doing things for her makes her love tank be more full. And, and mine is quality time and words of affirmation. So the things that she says, the things that people say, impact me and make me feel loved and appreciated. And so we, we try to practice those things in our relationship. And, and when we do so, we feel loved. And when we forget and we don't do those things, we don't feel as connected or as loved. And I was explaining this and uh, the person that I, that I was talking to, they looked at me and said, um, so you're a words of affirmation, words of encouragement person. I said, yep, yep. She goes, so uh, you find your value in what people say about you. And I was like, um, yeah. 
Maybe there's something I haven't thought about here. Uh, the things that people say about me are, the, are how I feel valued. Like, maybe that isn't quite as healthy as what I was thinking. You know, maybe I need to look at this a little differently. I am letting what people say impact my value. Hmm. And the conversation really got me thinking about that. Where do I find my value? Where does it lie? Where does it come from? Where do I allow it to come from? If I am firmly rooted in Jesus Christ and a Christ follower, where should my identity be? And what should I allow to impact it? You know, maybe words of encouragement. Uh, maybe that's, maybe I need to rethink this. You know, I, I have that question for you today. Where do you find your value? Where do you find your identity? You know, people find their identity and their value in a, in a variety of different places. Uh, you know, where, where do you find yours? Do you find your identity maybe in being a parent? And I look across this room and I see a lot of parents. I see a lot of people with kids, right? You know, you, you, you're a mommy, you're a daddy, you, that's your world. And, and you let that consume your world because caring for children is so very, very important. But it gets to the point where that's who you are. You are a mommy. And maybe you've sacrificed some friendships or a career or something else. Well, what happens when your kids grow up? What happens when you're now an empty nester? Where's your value? Where do you, or where do you find yours? Do you find your identity in your job, I mean, in your profession? You know, what happens if that's where you find your job? What happens when the market turns? Right? What happens when an endangered species interferes with your profession? Like what happened in Sweet Home in Lebanon about 20, 30 years ago with the spotted owl. And all of a sudden, you are no longer what you thought you were. Maybe you're forced into early retirement. Where are you then? What is your, where is your identity when those type of things happen? Where is yours? Where is your identity? You find your identity in what people say or think about you. Well, what happens when you have a new coworker you don't get along with? Or maybe you have a friend who turns their back on you or betrays you. Or you just get in an argument with your spouse and they say something out of anger. That's never happened, right? No, no. Not speaking from experience there at all. Where do you find your value? Is it in the things that you possess? Well, what happens when your next door neighbors get a bigger home or add on or have a new boat or a new car and all of a sudden you are falling behind in the struggle to keep up with the Joneses? You find your identity in your education or how smart you are, your intellect. What happens when someone comes along who's smarter, who knows more, who's better at what they do, who comes from a more prestigious college and family background? Where's your identity when those things fall apart? You know, for us to grow as Christ followers, more deeply rooted into Jesus Christ, we must understand that we need to find our identity only in Jesus Christ. Only. So my question this morning, I have a couple of them, three of them. Who are you? Who are you? Whose are you? And what are you? I'm going to attempt to answer these from Scripture. First question is, is who are you? Who do you think you are this morning? John chapter 1 verse 12 was a verse we read last week in our message, but it's so applicable to this question. It says, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. 
He gave the right. As you devoted yourself to Christ, to be a Christ follower, it says you have been given the right in return to be a child of God. So who are you? You are a child of God. So let's practice that this morning. Let's say it together. Repeat after me. I am a child of God. Okay, now all together with me. I am a child of God. I want you to understand that because that really, we could just kind of go, whoop, that's it, we're done for the day. That's all we really need to understand this morning in our identity. We are children of God. You are, I am a child of God. Plain and simple. And that has to be the foundation for what we understand, where our identity is found. There is nothing else that is more important that you are than that right there. A child of God. The creator of the world has said that you are my child. The king of all kings has made you a prince and a princess. That's amazing. And we need to understand that this morning. How much value does that give us when we understand that the one who is most important, most valuable, uh, most powerful in this world has made you his child? So along with that, the question comes, uh, well, who are you? Yeah, very good, very good. You're getting it, all right. Whose are you? Whose are you? Okay, God's, right? And in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, 9 and 10, it tells us that we are God's, right? It says, you are a chosen people, okay? a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had received mercy, but now you have... Now you, go back. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You are a chosen child of God. You get that? You are a chosen. Now, um, I don't have children, but I am a child, so I can understand this. Um, when my parents had me, they were stuck with me. Right? Right? What they, what they got was what they got. There wasn't no sending them back, right? They got me. For, for all my strengths and weaknesses, they got me. And maybe if they had known what they were in for, they would have chose differently in the beginning. But God, he chose you. You understand that? He chose you. Flaws and all. He decided from his intellect and from his love to make you his chosen person. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19 and 20, it says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God with your body. You weren't just chosen, but you were purchased. And not as a slave, as a very member of the family. Right? That's how valuable you are. The creator of all things bought you, chose you, loves you unconditionally. So our question is, who are you? Who are you? You are a chosen child of God. And you understand? You are a chosen child of God. But what are you? We just mentioned it, I just mentioned it a moment ago. There's many things. There's many things we are. We talk about this idea for, for uh, many weeks. But I have uh, about four or five things I want to bring out that you, of what you are. The first one comes from Fest, whoa, First Thessalonians. Stumbling over my words this morning. First Thessalonians 1.4. It says, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. 
Okay, so it repeats that idea that you are a chosen child of God, but it says that you are loved. So what are we? We are loved. You know, God has poured his love out on us. He has lavished his love upon us. He loved us when we were unlovable. In our darkest and most dreary, worst times, he proved his love for us. And he proved it when he sent his son to die in our place. Right? And he wants to be with you forever, loving you for all of eternity. So what are we? We are loved, deeply loved. On top of that, we aren't just loved, but we are now a new creation in Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 through 18, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, when you devoted yourself to Christ, he made you new. He removed the stain and the sickness he removed the stench of death and the consequences of sin from your life completely. He gave you a new and eternal spirit. And he promised to take these, these eternal bodies, decaying, broken down bodies, sin infested, and give us a new eternal body on top of that. So what are we? We are loved and we are new creation in Jesus Christ. But on top of that... Even though we're loved, you know, and again, parents, I'm sure that you've had this experience. You still love your kids even when they're bad, right? But Jesus said, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you a new spirit and a new body because I know what you've been through. I know how sin has impacted you. But now when I see you, I'm not going to see you as that sin-stained, broken-down body that you once had. I'm going to see you as holy and blameless. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, it says, For he has chosen us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. When we find our identity in Christ, we understand that we are now holy and pure and blameless. And it isn't because of anything that we've done. It's because of that love that he poured out on us. And it's because of that sacrifice that Jesus made by shedding his blood. And that blood purifies us and cleanses us. You know, that's kind of contrary to what you think, right? When you get blood on your clothes, it stains us. But the blood of Jesus purifies us and cleanses us. So what are we? What are you? Well, you are loved. And you have been made new. And when Jesus sees you, he sees you as holy and blameless. And now you are eternal. In 1 John chapter 5, verses 12 through 13, it says, Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Not that you may wonder or doubt, but that you may know that you have eternal life. See, sometimes within Christian Church, Church of Christ, we, we, we see uh, our, our salvation as something that's here for a moment and then it's gone. And, and I sin and so then I ask for forgiveness so I can regain my salvation. That's not the way it is. That's not the love that God pours out upon us. That's a conditional love. Right? When we've submitted our hearts to Him, when we've been cleansed by His blood, when we've received His Holy Spirit, we have confidence that nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus. You are an eternal being. You are loved. You're a new creation. You're holy and blameless. And you are now eternal in Jesus Christ. So as we kind of understand these things of who we are, 
whose we are and what we are. It, it needs to impact us. It needs to change us, right? And we need to have a better understanding of our identity and our value. So when we, get, when we, when we grasp this, these ideas, it helps us in a few ways. The first is it, it helps us to find our value in a solid and unchanging foundation. <coughs> Excuse me. In Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 through 23, it says, The steadfast of the love never ceases. Remember this song? His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God's love for you and the identity that you have in him never changes. In Hebrews 13, it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. See, that eternal nature of God impacts, that unchanging nature of God impacts your identity. Because when it's firmly planted within Jesus, it will never change. He loves you. Your value never changed. You know, our value is not in what we think about ourselves. I mentioned at the beginning that sometimes we have this overinflated ego, right? This pride that says, hey, I'm pretty good. And sometimes I beat myself up and I see myself as worthless and nothing, that low self-esteem. Those are just uh, opposite sides of the same coin. Opposite sides. An unhealthy view of self, whether it's too much or too low. It's not what we think about ourselves that brings our value. It's in the unchanging nature of Christ. It's not about how we look. Our looks will change. It's not about how smart we are. That will probably change too. It'll go up and it'll go down. Right? It's not in our achievements or our failures. Not in the size of our bank account or the number of degrees upon our wall. It's not in the prestige or the, the lack of job that we may have. It's not in what people think about us. It's not about what the, thing, the things that people say or don't say. It's not in the judgment that people cast upon us because we do things differently than they do. Our value is in the solid, unchanging foundation of Jesus Christ. And as we understand that identity and that value, we can also eliminate fear from our lives. And we talked about that a couple of weeks already, that, that Jeremiah 7, 7, um, uh, 17 passage and uh, that Psalm 1. Right? That, that, that as we develop roots, we do not need to fear. In, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, it says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. God did not create you to be a fearful person. He did not create you to be afraid of the dark. Right? He did not create us that way. He wants us to be children of the light who walk in the light as he is in the light and have confidence that we can come before him and that he is with us always. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, it says that we now can approach the throne of grace with confidence. Kind of like Queen Esther. You might remember that story. When it came time when someone needed to go to the king on behalf of the Jews and, 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 and actually deliver them, rescue them, and, and she was the only person that had that, that, that um, position. But she knew that if she went before the king, that it could risk her own life, that she could be killed if it displeased him. But with confidence, because God was on her side, she went before the king and made her case, and ultimately the Jews were saved from King Xerxes. We can approach the throne of God with grace and confidence because we are a child of that king. And that is how God created us to be. We also don't need to play the comparison game. 
You ever find yourself doing that? Uh, comparing yourself to other people? This life isn't about trying to please other people. It's not, and yet we spend so much time doing just that. And sometimes we, we wrap it into a nice little neat package and think it's a good thing. I'm trying to please this person or that or not let them down. Man, that's a lot of pressure. Other people's expectations, you're not here to please other people. Paul understood this, and he wrote in Galatians 1.10 this. He said, For I am, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. You hear that? You're not here to please anybody but Christ. We're not trying to please ourselves. That's not why we're here, to make ourselves happy or experience pleasure in this life. Those things are good. Being happy is good. Being successful is good. But that shouldn't be our purpose. In 1 Timothy chapter 5 or 6, Paul is talking to Timothy here about, about a widow lady in particular. But he says this. He says, she who is self-indulgent or self-pleasing or searching after her own rewards is dead even while she lives. Trying to please yourself takes you down a dead-end road, away from Christ. We don't need to compare ourselves to what other people are. We don't need to try to please them. We don't need to try to please ourselves. We are only here to please Jesus Christ. But I want you to hear me in this. That's a response, right? Our desire to please Christ is a response to the love and the mercy and the grace that he's poured out onto us. The fact that he's made us a child of God. It's not to earn those things. It's not to, to try to bribe our way into heaven. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It's from God. It's a gift of God. See, the gift that we've been given is so valuable. And it's just like a little kid on Christmas Day who throws their arm around their parents for giving them that best toy ever. We try to please God because we love Him and we appreciate Him, not because we're trying to earn anything. You can't get Him to love you more. It's not going to happen. And you're not going to get Him to love you less. Nothing you're going to do that are going to impact either way because Jesus' love for you is complete. It's whole. It's not lacking anything. And we can gain such a great understanding of our value when we understand that. You know, I, I, uh, I used to teach a class for kids with special needs. And uh, uh, we had about eight kids in our class, and most of them were autistic or on the autistic uh, spectrum. And uh, one of the boys that, that was in that class, his name was Michael. And Michael was, um, was fairly high-functioning. However, he was kind of a, an autistic savant. You've heard of that, where they have a, a, a specialty or something that, that they're really fascinated in, and they are amazing at that thing, right? Well, his specialty that he was into was airplanes. Now, most kids, when they're in, into airplanes, are into, like, fighter jets, right, or stealth bombers or helicopters or Apache, you know, things like that. Not Michael. Michael was into, was into passenger airplanes, <laughs> And he liked uh, Southwest Airlines. That was his favorite. And uh, he loved going. We were down in L.A. He loved going to, over to LAX Airport and watching the airplanes come down. And, and he studied them. He could, he could read, so he studied them. He watched, like, movies about airplanes, documentaries, things like that. He was about 10 years old. And 
And he would come into my class each week, and uh, he didn't really care about our lesson that we taught about Jesus. He cared about his airplanes. And so his favorite thing to do as he came in would be to go over to a table where we had color crayons, and he would just draw pictures of airplanes every week with crayons. Now, crayons aren't like super, you know, you can't be super detailed with him or with, with those, but they don't have sharp enough tips. But Michael's creations were incredibly detailed. They were amazingly proportionate and everything. And one day he came into class, and um, he, uh, he had just at school, in his class, they just got a computer, and it had like a Microsoft Paint program on it, right? And so he had uh, started learning how to use Microsoft Paint, and this is what he created. This is this picture of, uh, this is a Southeast Airlines. It's a Boeing jet, and like, it's not exactly proportionate compared to what he normally did, uh, because he was just learning the program, right? But this was like on his first day, he made this amazing picture, and he gave it to me. He wanted me to have it. And uh, it's amazing. It's incredible. And I wish I have a couple of his pictures someplace that he actually colored. And I can't find them, but I have them someplace. And it was just incredible detail that he put into these things. He knew all about them. He knew what the size of engine. He knew how far they could go on a tank of gas. He knew where they flew to all over the world. Every air flight, uh, especially of like Southeast, uh, I mean Southwest Airlines. He knew like every city they went to. He knew what pilots needed to do to be able to fly that class of of, uh, plane. It was absolutely incredible what he knew about about, uh, airplanes. You see, um, he spent time getting to know all he could, and from memory, he could replicate whatever it was, whatever angle, whatever airport, he could draw pictures of it. It was incredible. See, here's the point. God loves you with even greater detail, with greater attention than what Michael loved airplanes. He pays closer attention to you than Michael could ever pay when he was watching those airplanes fly in And God could replicate with exact, precise precision you. Because he knows you. And he chose you. And he loves you. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 29 through 31, it says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care? And even the very hair on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. Jesus loves you. The Father loves you. He knew you before you were born. He knew you in your mother's womb. With his hands, he formed you and knit you together. He loves you. And he would allow his own biological son to die on the cross, to purchase you back from the prison that sin had thrown you into. You have an unchanging identity in Jesus Christ. And that identity allows you to grow deeper and deeper roots into Jesus. And those roots will help you through whatever life throws against you. Whatever anyone says about you is nothing. Whatever happens to you with your job or your, your, your possessions mean nothing. Because the creator of the world loves you. And those roots help you understand your value in Jesus. They eliminate any fear that you may have in your life. And you can dump that comparison game. Say goodbye. Because your value, your identity, is fully in Christ. Let's pray.
Father, we're grateful this morning for, the, for your word, and we're thankful, Father, for how it tells us about your love. It tells us about our identity in your son and to what extent you would go to. It tells us over and over about the love and the care and the mercy and the grace that you have for us. And then it tells us how you showed us. You didn't just leave it as words or a feeling, but you actually demonstrated your love in Jesus' death on the cross. And then you demonstrated even more love by that victory over death. And Father, today, many of us here in this room have experienced that, that, uh, that value that you've given us. We've experienced that victory, and now we know that we live in you complete and blameless and, and pure and holy and loved, and we are a new creation, and we are eternal. But I just pray, Father, for, for anybody in this room and anyone we may know and come into contact with this week that has not embraced and accepted that identity, that we, Father, can be um, an avenue of dispensing that grace, and that love, and that mercy. And so we give you this week, and we ask that you use us as your children, complete in you and your love. Allow us to help other people experience that same, that same gift. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.